Welcome to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. The subject of today's episode is a newly released surf film called Let's Be Frank. Surf film, it's an important medium to surfing that was really ignited by The Endless Summer, seminal surf film from the early 60s. Sure, surf films came before that, but The Endless Summer really launched careers and inspired generations of filmmakers, and really the influence of The Endless Summer is hard to track. It's so ubiquitous in surf culture. Although it wasn't really my Citizen Kane, I was raised in the 90s. I was a Taylor Steele fan, somebody who, by the way, I've been emailing with for years trying to get on this podcast. He's actually agreed to come on this podcast. It's just that in the three years that we've been emailing, our schedules have not quite aligned, believe it or not. But incidentally, Taylor's new film project, Proximity, looks like it'll be really incredible. They're doing a lot of um, advertising and kind of... Uh, little trailers leading up to the film, behind-the-scenes stuff, so you could find all of that on YouTube. Anyway, growing up in the 90s, I was a huge Taylor Steele fan. I was a Tony Roberts fan. I was a Bill Ballard fan. I was a huge Lost Enterprises fan. And what surf film represented in my youth has died. The formula and the structure is basically the same as it was then, but that's the precise problem for me. I have evolved into a more nuanced human being than I was in the early 90s, and surfing means something different to me now, and there's been no one making films that resonate with my current surf experience. What has died in surf films is the ability to transport me to a different time and place. I felt like I was on the road with Spike in that lost film, or I felt like I was going to Costa Rica to meet Robert August in the the summer too. For the past decade, and now certainly with the internet, I've been desensitized by endless spinning barrels at unknown tropical reef breaks with cutaway shots of swaying palm trees and G-stringed beauties. We, as a surf culture, have really hit our saturation point years ago with surf content and visuals, and yet every year... The biggest surf productions follow the exact same formula. Better waves, better surfing, mixed with a few interviews, and perhaps some narration. Yes, surf films, edits, clips, as we call them now, because they're not film length, they look better than they've ever looked. The technology is better, the cameras are better, and the surfing is obviously a lot better. But it's just a better degree of what came before. The art form, the medium of surf film, has largely stagnated. Now, it's easy to complain about, which I often do on this podcast, but I want to offer a solution. It's a solution that I've actually offered on this podcast as well. And I think that the solution for modern surf filmmakers is simply story. Tell better stories. Tell stories creatively. Take the lead from Hollywood, from non-surf documentary. Take the lead from books. All of those mediums focus their projects on story. Story never gets old. And the best news is we, as this collective community of surfers, we have the best stories to tell. We have the best characters. Surfing is infinitely interesting. It's death-defying. It requires an athletic and nomadic lifestyle full of sacrifice and adventure. 
Why don't we have better storytellers documenting these things? Or maybe we do. I'd argue that we actually do have great storytellers, but their mouths, their pens, their cameras are bound by the structure of our industry and of our media outlets being funded by the brands whose dirty laundry good stories might air out. But that's an entirely different tangent, and uh, I digress. All of this rant you've heard before. I've been saying it for years, but I'm thrilled to say that my rant will end today with the release of Let's Be Frank. Peter Hamblin and his team of creatives have produced the most inventive surf film ever created, and it's squarely focused on story, the story of Frank Solomon, or correction, the story is an attempt to discover who is Frank. The story has structure, plot points, it's partially scripted, partially acted, The concept is actually a little difficult for me to explain here, so I'd actually advise you to stop this podcast now, watch the film, then come back and listen to this interview. You'll probably appreciate this more in that sequence. Now, Peter's influences in the film are pretty easy to spot. The camera movements, the art direction, even the tone is nearly a replica of a lot of Wes Anderson's work. The fight sequence is straight out of a Guy Ritchie film. Uh, But those really aren't even critiques of Let's Be Frank, to be honest. Those devices, those techniques work perfectly with the narrative that Peter crafted. And influence aside, the film just looks beautiful. It's straight up entertaining. And most importantly, it's fun. One legitimate critique does exist, but it only exists if you view Let's Be Frank as a surf film. And that critique is that there isn't enough surfing and that the surfing that is in the film isn't really on par with the top surf films of the year, nor the top surfing being done on the WSL tours. That, however, really didn't bother me at all, to be honest, Um, because it could be argued that this isn't even really a surf film. It it. If it is, it redefines the genre, but to be honest, it qualifies just as a film on its own. And let me back up. Frank surfs great. He's not John John Florence, who, by the way, plays a major role in this film as well, but Frank's surfing is beautiful throughout each segment of the film, and truthfully, the vast majority of the film's viewing audience won't be able to identify the nuance of difference between Frank's top turn or a Kelly Slater top turn. But... This is a surfing podcast, and I'd be remiss to not mention the surfing in the film. Anyway, my name is David Scales. This is Surf Splendor, and this is my conversation with Peter Hamblin and Frank Solomon. Enjoy the show. Firstly, I think it's such a complete vision from um, – a vision that's executed more completely, I think, than any other project that I've really seen from the script to every bit of marketing material that came out. It just seems like there was a concept in mind and we're executing this concept. Um, whose idea? Where, where did the original seed come from and what was the original concept for the film? Who developed um, it? So uh, she nailed it. Um, in reality, 
every part of the film and the crew that we worked with, have, we've taken it from, from concept development all the way through to the finished product, to the premieres. We really have, there's been a lot of thought that's been applied to everything. Um, the original concept of the film came in when um, I had just finished my first film, which was Right Side of Wrong, which is a 15 minute short. Right. And um, um, I was out one night, uh, it was that evening of the screening, and Frank, I met up with Frank, and I'd never met Frank before. And um, and um, through social media and stuff, I had a preconceived idea of who he was. And okay. especially, I said this the other day, like, um, especially on the South African rand, um, right. it doesn't allow you to travel much. It doesn't allow you to do much. And I was looking at Frank, and Frank was kind of like traveling and cruising the world. So I kind of started throwing these ideas out to Frank, like, maybe he's got this massive sponsorship deal in place, so on and so forth. And he basically shut me down and said, no, that's not how it is. And this is how I get around the world. This is how I travel and make money. And we'd had a couple of beers, and the reality was that we came up, I think, within the first five minutes. I was like, dude, we should make a film about you, and we should call it Let's Be Frank. Let's be real. Let's show the real side of things. At that time, it was just an idea to create a 15-minute piece. It oh, was never okay. going to be something big. Um, the next day I woke up and I phoned him and I was like, dude, there might be something to this. Like, let's do it. And the more I chatted to him, the more I chatted to his friends and stuff like that, the more we realized that there's a lot more to tell. And and that's why the project that was going to be like three weeks was, became three years. And I was dead set on not making a film like I had in the past. Everything I'd done in the past was go out and shoot it very like... And, and come back to the edit suite and then try and make the story out. Figure out yeah. what the raw material is exactly. and then And that, that it. Just, just not, that wasn't, that's not very kind of, from a creative level, that's not satisfying because right. there was so much more that I wanted to do with it. And, and that's why I started initially just starting to script the pieces together. First coming up with the, what the twist is, what the twist of the film is, like what, what is it, what does it lend itself on? And the conspiracy theory was, that's how I wanted to tell it. Yeah. I didn't want to tell the, the static template of this is Frank, this is what he does. I found that boring and I wanted to do more. So that's exactly why I needed that hook and that hook was the conspiracy theory. And then it just, once you've got that, then it kind of just grows itself. And, okay. and that's exactly what happened. And we just, I just kept on writing and I probably wrote for about a year. Um, and again, waiting for the moments of inspiration, not just forcing the writing, waiting, like coming up with an idea and going, okay, cool, let's write that, let's tie that all together. Yeah. And um, that's exactly what it did. And it took about a year and a bit to write. Um, the script itself the script. was remarkable. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, truly. Cool. And I mean, it's hilarious as well. Like above and beyond everything else, it's just funny. <laughs> Um, I think, sorry, just saying what Pete said, and to his credit, like, he also didn't, we didn't have a big budget to start, and we got a certain amount from Red Bull, I think, in the beginning, like a small amount, and, you know, I, I thought, like, that was it, we're going to make that, you know, make that work, whatever, and I think we spent that all in one scene. Really? <laughs> in the beginning, yeah. We made a trailer with all the budget that we had, pretty yeah. much. And I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but I it's have. pretty much me like watering the ground. That was the first one, and it was. I didn't see that. One. It was how long? Like, yeah, it wasn't a trailer. It was the. It was like we used to try and get furthest one. But but, but, easier, but yeah. that's kind of what got yeah. it in the yeah. end, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. People exactly. saw yeah. that and they're like, "What is this?" Like because the concept or the final product, anyways. I can't imagine you could even pitch that to somebody. If you sat down with Bob Hurley and we were like, "Hey, here's our idea," 
he won't understand it to the level to which you execute. Yeah, it was There's the no hardest thing in the world, yeah. and that's exactly. And actually, what it's been really hard that part, yeah. part because even just like telling my friends at home, like oh, I'm yeah. making this film, they're like, they're like, oh, whatever, bro. Like, but some of my friends still don't believe me. I made a film. They think if they are, they think it's just someone with like a five D filming me to try and explain like the stuff that we've been through is pretty tough. But and a lot of the nuance is going to fall on deaf ears because like just little transitions of the camera zooming into your eyeball and that goes into a wave and that could, like most people don't understand all the work that's involved in that and there's a million of those transitions throughout the film you know yeah it's huge um it's um that whole process even when we we're trying to pitch to red bull like the only way i could do that to really show them what i meant was to actually cut a scene together and that's what right. I did. So I cut like two of the scenes together. And I think the first one we cut was, um, wasn't the fight scene. It was, um, I think it was the seal scene when he jumps into the water and just show exactly how that kind of works and how the, the fiction, non-fiction work together. Yeah. And then when they started seeing it and visualizing it, they were like, oh, hang on, you could be onto something here. This could be really cool. Right. So I guess the first follow-up question is just how close is the final product to what your vision was? Bang on really exactly what it was yeah. really we went we, we went um, we weren't taking any cutting any corners here like, okay. that's what I was trying to say yeah. so that's what I was trying to say with that first scene and it's when I was really like when we did finally get a bit of budget I think you blew that all as well didn't you in the fight scene like yeah. we went all like when I got to the set first of all I was in London like training for two weeks for that fight scene with stunt guys from Vikings that had done um Sherlock Holmes fight scene and yeah, a uh, guy called Richard Ryan. Yeah. Richard Ryan is a stunt coordinator. He got in there. Yeah, everything we did, like it every was like scene. I think that and that you wanted that from the beginning, didn't you? Yeah. He wanted to do like he's like if we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it hundred percent. It's a spectacular sequence. Yeah. But um, I'm just curious, how did you even get him involved? It, just hustling really, and just um, I'd spoken to like a number of um, different stunt choreo- choreographers, and none of them would allow me to punch people in the face because of health and safety and everything like that and I was like there's no way man like these guys are definitely hitting each other in this film so like in like what in Sherlock film? Holmes and okay. the Snatch and then all of that right. so I just looked up the who the stunt choreographer was um, I reached out to his agent his agent got me a a conversation with him and I just kind of pitched it to him and he just loved the idea so it was it was, it was very lucky and he also we didn't have budget we couldn't afford him um, so he agreed to do it for next to nothing and, and ended up sending the crew out to kind of train Frank and do the whole thing. And um, yeah, it well, was amazing. It's funny because you said we started out with a very small budget and then what we got from Red Bull, we blew through. And I heard you saying something, I think, similar on um, at, with the Surfer Magazine interview that you did. But it looks like it has a huge budget. I mean, the final product looks remarkable. <laughs> you know, It looks much more like a Hollywood film than a surf film. In yeah. terms of production value, yeah, we um, we didn't like from a budget perspective. It really wasn't. I think if you want to look at the the, the input that's coming from all the people and in kind, that's and, a lot of money. AR in kind and the favors, um, then it's a lot of money because <coughs> when you make films, you got to pay for people's time. Exactly. And literally everyone who got involved, and there was a core crew of I think five of us. Um, everyone got involved. They did it for free. Like wow. no one got paid a cent. Um, and uh, that that's really and the thing is as well Matthew Day who's our DP I was going to say like a big reason for why the film looks the way it does visually is Matthew's yeah. like and Matthew's 
um, skills is pretty crazy on lighting and setting up the camera. He comes from a studio background. 100%, yeah. And like, people are like, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Like he was used to running around. Like, and yeah. that's like, it took like an hour to set up lights. Yeah. Know? But in the end, you know, you can see why. Yeah. It looks so amazing. Yeah. Well, and he's got a whole studio in London that he kind of runs. So all his equipment, everything like that was just a massive savings, um, financial okay. savings plus. We didn't really have much money at all. I know there's been some numbers floating around. I don't know where people get the numbers from, but yeah. none of those numbers are correct. We had a much smaller budget than that. Well, um, what I've found, maybe this is true for the guy choreographing the fight scene, is that people are just enamored by surfing. And people in high-profile po- positions in Hollywood or whatever, they just want to dabble in the surf world a little bit you know, and say that they did it. And so you find, I find that the surf industry benefits from a bit of that. You know, yeah, 100%. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah treat by it. People, people are yeah, trying yeah, to sell exactly. the lifestyle, you know, yeah, by the surf lifestyle, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. Um, you were saying one of the initial conversations or interests that you had in Frank was just, hey man, how do you travel the world? We're living on the RAN, and how does that translate? How did you do it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, being in the surf industry, yeah. we all know how other people do it, but a lot of listeners to the podcast are just working professionals. Yeah. How does it work for a young guy from South yeah, Africa? I would say drugs on porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after the movie, I'll have you believe. But uh, no, I just um, I went to university and stuff, and I, I had like I had to do like a year of like normal work, you know, mm-hmm. like normal work. I was working construction for like a year, and I was like. I'm not going to do this, you know. This this is not trying to be a pro surfer at the same no, time. No, or? I was just I didn't think I'd be a pro surfer. Oh, okay. But I I was doing like you know a regular job, right. and so I think for me like anything like a lot of guys are pro surfers and then have to get a regular job, right? And uh, I think for me like the hustling was alright because anything was better than sitting in like a container on a construction site like counting bricks you know so totally no matter how hard it was and it was some really hard times it was fine because it was like okay well you know it could be worse <laughs> well you're gonna hustle either way yeah exactly either hustling and surfing or hustling <laughs> and construction but um, yeah I just I worked man I just worked everyone works you know so I just I got if I I worked uh, sitting Christmas trees like people say like uh, waiting tables um, delivering vegetables, working in Hawaii on the farms in Haleiwa, uh, working at home, like doing adventure tours and stuff. I just, yeah, just doing odd jobs. So when you guys linked up and you had been traveling the world, you were funding that traveling with doing the odd jobs. I was funding it, and I honestly, like, I, I made a like a semi-conscious effort never to like say that I was working. I knew subconsciously that like if you were gonna like sell this dream, which what Peter kind of saw that saying that I was working and it was so hard and, and people don't want to feel sorry for you. I mean, everyone's got to right. work. And like, so I've never like made a big deal about the fact that I was working. I, yeah. I just did it and then when I was like in San Francisco, like, like oh, look how cool the Golden Gate Bridge is and then mm. like Mavericks is super good today. But I was never like, oh my gosh, I have to work as well because right. people just have to work. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably part of the conversation we had that one night yeah. because the way... That's exactly what we didn't want to do with the film. We didn't want to do it in the way like, oh, let's feel sorry for Frank. That's mm-hmm. not really yeah. what we're trying to do. And that's not what he was trying to push either. Because um, I think I've seen a couple of films that are out there and the guys, they really kind of focus on the hardship. And mm-hmm. everyone has hardship. Yeah, it's exactly. really more about kind of like showing the tenacity that it, that it takes. And I mean, it doesn't exist in the surf world. I don't know. Well, from my experience... It doesn't exist that a lot of the the, the pro surfers and stuff are out there working and Agreed. trying to make it work. Maybe a bit more in the big wave world, but yeah, 
generally there's a lot of money behind these guys they um and they they, they live a good life so, especially you know? where we're sitting right now in southern california yeah. it's like yeah. and i like this view like yeah. jet skis and boats and <laughs> that's crazy. View. It looks crazy well so that gives us a little bit of frank's background what's your background peter um as a filmmaker porn also now i i was actually not involved in filming at all i studied and uh, i uh, studied marketing and advertising and i was in advertising for about 10 years mm. and um i think the same thing i just hated it i hated being involved in advertising i hated going and being bound to a desk every day what and, industry were you in like uh, was it related to the surf industry no, at all not or? at all not at all no you guys were doing work i was in london based in london oh, and um, okay. i was working in advertising so ad agency um and i worked for a number of different ad agencies and then i actually set up my own little ad agency in south africa and durban for a okay. while and just really didn't enjoy that um, I just felt that kind of like stifling on creativity and stuff like that, and I wanted to be more creative. And then um, I picked up a, a camera like maybe about six years ago now. Oh, no, maybe a little bit more. Maybe about eight years ago. Just, I just had an interest in taking photos. And the more I took photos, the more I enjoyed it. And then I was um, uh, Pierre Chosti. He was... Um, ASP photographer. Yeah, exactly. He was the ASP photographer. And I was like, dude, that would be cool. Like, I love surfing. I love... I want to go to shit there. So I kind of harassed him for like a good year. And eventually he gave me a break and he said, listen, Peter, you can come. We're, going, we're in Mundaka. We're one photographer short. You can come and take a bit of the lifestyle photos, but we can't pay you. And you're going to have to sort out your own accommodation. Wow. So I kind of did that and I quit my job. And then um, I just ended up going and shooting with Karen Wilson. And I shot for two weeks and the, the, the event ran the full two weeks and Kelly Slater won his eighth world title and I ended up getting shots of Kelly getting thrown off the wall. And it just, I used that and I leveraged those photos to help me more, get more photo jobs in South Africa. Got it. So when I went got back, back to South Africa, I just hit up all the surf brands and I started doing like clothing shoots with them and all of that. And the long story short is that I came back to London and I was kind of working in, um, back in advertising because that's paid the bills. But because of all the contacts I had, I was like, dude, I'm going to start taking photos for all these agencies and that. And that's what I did. So on the weekends, I started taking photos. Um, that started making more money through taking photos than I was in advertising. So then I eventually quit the advertising gig and I set up my production company in London, which was originally just event photos. That's what we used mm. to do. And then the 5D came in and the 5D, Canon 5D, you could do video. So I started messing around with video a little bit more and just kind of grew and grew and grew and I started then offering a video service to my clients and then I was just kind of keen to do something different and that's when I picked up Warwick Wright um, I flew him out to Portugal and we spent a week in Portugal and I just filmed him and then I came up with a concept afterwards and oh, wow. kind of tied it together and that did really well we did, that was my first short film that I did and I taught myself editing and um, that did really well we won at x best short best edit and stuff like that and then we got kind of a, a guy, Evan Fontaine, saw that edit, and he works at Red Bull Media House, um, and he gave me my opportunity to work on a series called The Ripple Effect, mm. um, which was um, based on like the key founders in the surfing industry. So we did a piece on like Bob Hurley. Yeah, I remember that. That was really well done. Cool, thank you. I, I wanted to see more of them. Well, they are. They've, we've just actually released uh, another six oh, on, on Red Bull TV now. We've just done... Um, one on O'Neill, one on GoPro. Um, O'Neill, who was it? It was O'Neill, it was GoPro. Fans? No, it was Quicksilver. Uh, Quicksilver. Fans? 
Yeah, Vans. That's oh, okay. Yeah, they're hearing problems. Yeah. Vans, Vans, Quicksilver, Surfline, oh, Sean okay. Collins, um, O'Neill, um, and GoPro. They're all available now. They're all available on Amazing. on Red Bull TV. They're awesome. And then we're actually taking that nine to check. So we're doing stuff with Wide Magazine. We're doing Twitch, Reddit. Um, an amazing artist called Robert Robert Williams doing a piece on him as well so yeah so that basically the ripple effect has kind of grown out and it's afforded us to travel a lot more and then also I suppose it afforded me as a company it gave us a bigger budget to play with and then we could and put that into Let's Be Frank as well so okay. a lot of the money that I've kind of like the money that we've made there we've invested into Let's Be Frank and made that film <clears throat> it seems like um, well I was going to talk about influence. It seems like, you know, your your first foray into surf film, The Right Side of Wrong, is that what it was? Um, wasn't a reflection of other surf films. It almost had more Hollywood influence in it than anything else. Like I could see Hollywood filmmakers that whose influence is infused through your stuff, but not a lot of representation of the surf world that I see in your films. What did you grow up watching and what were you inspired by? Yeah, I definitely grew up watching a lot of like um, – uh, Taylor Steele and Bruce Brown kind of films. Um, I think if you talk about in the surf industry where my influences come from, they come from definitely Taylor Steele, definitely Joe G. I mean, mm-hmm. Joe G, I don't know if you saw Strange Rumblings, but mm-hmm. that's an incredible film. I love that. I love the narrative. It's almost like a, it's a, um, an accolade to yesteryears. It's an mm-hmm. amazing film. I think it's, it's incredible. Um, and then guys like Kai Neville are a massive influence to me they we've got very different styles, but the way that he hustles and as an independent filmmaker, he's revolutionized like an a, a revolutionized surf filmmaking and has got such a core following and they literally have created like a almost a lifestyle him and his crew totally and when I saw that, I was like bro if that if he can do it like it, it motivates us to just try and reach out and try and make a film ourselves because he's showing that there's a platform for independent filmmakers totally and that's what blew my mind so Definitely from the surf perspective, there's there's those guys. But then, obviously, I mean, I get it all the time with this. Like, there's a Wes Anderson influence. There's, um, I love Wes Anderson. I love that kind of dry, kind of centered approach to everything. Very mm. linear movements and everything like that. It's just, it feels right to me as a filmmaker. To right. film like that. That makes sense to me. But then there's also, like, Guy Ritchie. He's incredible in his wit and his... Um, uh, um, script writing and stuff it's just incredible like there's so much humor that kind of narrow right. and, then, and then and then you've obviously like Quentin Tarantino those kind of things I love that the edgier kind of yeah. dirty bits but then I also love like Wes Anderson and the, that simplicity yeah well I've long complained on these microphones in fact about um, the state of surf film over the last five or ten years where like John John's film last year was amazing but it was just degrees better than what had come before it it wasn't revolutionary you know in terms of the style of filmmaking the surfing was and the cinematography was but again just degrees better than previous efforts yours i felt this film uh is completely unique and again incorporates a lot of the hollywood stuff but what i what i really have longed for is story i always say like dude what surf film really needs is better story at best you get some narration Maybe some with an interview with the surfer, but your guys' script and you actually did it really interestingly in that 
it's somewhat it's semi-fictional. Like there's a certain there's certainly a narrative throughout the entire film, but the way that the narrative is woven is interesting because there's a lot of reality in it. Like you guys still go on surf trips, you still go yeah. Ireland, Mexico, Hawaii, like a normal surf film would, but the narrative and the way that it's told, what was the idea behind that or how did you land at that on that? I mean, we talked about the concept a little bit earlier, but Lots of people have had the concept of, oh, let's do a profile film, and then they go do a profile film. But how did you land at the exact concept? I think I'm, I'm a very impatient filmmaker, and it's, it's, it's relevant in, in all my styles. Like, you see the ripple effect. There's, like, in every ripple effect edit, there's, like, a thousand shots mm-hmm. per, where there would be nothing. So there, there's a sense of pace to it. But, like, the biggest reason why I think I'm impatient is that films, to me, are about entertainment. Okay. That's ultimately what it's about. It's like... If you go and sit in a, in a theater, you want to be entertained. You don't want to be, and especially as a filmmaker, I don't want to watch people watch my films and be like looking or right. chatting or getting distracted. I want them to be caught and immersed in the moment because that's ultimately what it is. And I think that was just the guiding principle to this film is that okay. it needs to be super entertaining. I don't want, I want people to be guessing what's going to happen next, like what is going yeah. to happen next because... In the first freaking five minutes, you've seen girls' tits. You've seen um, someone's hair get shot. Like, why would you even see that in the film? Like, and and that now you just you're just waiting in anticipation for what's going to happen next. Yeah. So ultimately, we just wanted to make make something that was truly just truly lived in the entertainment world, and that's that's really what it was. Well, what's funny is. There's so much truth. Like, it, you could easily say, like, oh, it's a fictional storyline. But there's – you tell the story of sponsorship and how people get sponsored through a lot of the humor and the scene of with Dan and Pat. That part of it is fictional. But the story that Pat's telling is true. You know, that yeah. is how you get sponsored. So I thought that that was really done well in that it's, like, actually very informative and educational. And somebody going who doesn't really know much about surfing can learn – how you get to one place to the next on a budget or without a budget and then how sponsorship happens and all that stuff. So yeah. really interesting. Um, I think also take, uh, says a lot of Pete's like creativity, you know, like, yeah. like coming up with, you know, the, the idea of when I, when I walk down the mountain and jump out in parallel dungeons and he was like, we're going to follow this chick's ass. And it's going to be like a metaphor for when you're walking down the mountain, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who would think of that? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that, but it's done. I might have a perverted mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's done beautifully, though. Um, let's talk about the locations. I said, I, obviously, South Africa, Ireland, Mexico, Hawaii. Was there anywhere else? Um, Hawaii, California, Mexico, Cape Town. Yeah. Cape yeah. Town. Yeah. Right. You broke your back in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah. In Mulligamore? Or? Mul- no, at Riley's in Ireland. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Some people in, uh, were like, you know, saying like there's not a lot of surf footage in the film. Um, they were like, there's not enough surf footage or whatever. But I don't know. It's not a regular surf film. So right. I don't, I don't think, you know, I wanted people to watch it with an open mind, you know, think of something different. Don't, have, don't always, things don't always have to be just like they've been for the last 20 years, you know. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. 
Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I was conflicted with it. Like as I was watching it, I was anticipating more surfing, but I resolved the conflict by I'm super entertained. Like you said, like I actually thought there would be more, but I'm not bothered that there isn't because by the way, I could pull up my phone right now and watch surfing on Instagram nonstop. I don't need to come here and watch that. What I can't see on Instagram is this, you know? So yeah, but there was enough surfing and enough like high quality and heart pounding surfing that it was worth it. Yeah, you know? and, so, and even that's what I said in the speech. Like, I mean, I didn't do any airs. Or, right. You know, it's not a regular form. And yeah, like you said, people, I mean, those top guys, can they can do those airs all day. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, the surfing, it, it was challenging. I think it was one of the more challenging parts was getting surf footage because obviously, like you said, we didn't have a big budget. So yeah. like having like a top surf former, uh, someone who just filmed surfing, which is really hard to do if you don't know surfing. Right. Um, that that was kind of a tricky part, eh? Yeah. No, because yeah, because we all like had full time jobs throughout right. the making of this film. So I'm trying to. I could never get away to some Mexico for like a month. Yeah. yeah. Just go and travel with Frank and shoot surfing, and I can shoot from the land, but I'm not. I've never shot in the water. Sure. So we wanted to get the best people, and in order to do that, you need a lot of money. And yeah. there were waves, man. He caught the biggest, gnarliest wave, like in Malikmore. And we missed it. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, Our former missed it because he just did not have the experience of being on the back of a jet ski. And he, yeah. he shot amazing stuff. But yeah. it was just that one wave you missed. Brutal. <laughs> There's snippets of it in the... Yeah. I think we got it. We got snippets of it, but we didn't get it as clean as we could have. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that trip specifically in Ireland. Because um, you did break your back and I wanted to get I, that story. Yeah. But who were you there with and what was that trip like? Uh, well, I went the first year I went is when I broke my back. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, that footage is in the film. Yeah, from okay. the first year. So then, you know, the the next year I went back is when I got better waves. Mm. But yeah, well, I, uh, I was we I wanted to go there because it was something different and cool. And um, I don't really know what we were. We didn't really know at that point where the movie was going. 100% hey, that when we first went to Ireland it was like yeah it was a small case of and Ireland was also it made sense again to our budget because our, we were in London right so it was just a hopper so we, we hired we hired this there. massive 
um, Winnebago. RV, Winnebago RV because it's the cheapest way we could get all our gear and everything there. So we drove that overnight on the ferry with Matthew Day and Toby Gidier. Um And we actually went to go and pick him up because he had a broken back and he had been stuck out there for like three months. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, he didn't go home, man. He broke his back and then he stayed there. Oh. And kind of like just got on the mend there in this, some dodgy little hostel. <laughs> Brutal, dude. Yeah, it was not. Well, I mean, the backstory is that uh, Hurley, South Africa, had said that, you know, they're not going to no longer be in South Africa. Oh. So I kind of didn't have a job and I, and I had been talking to the guys here and I was like, and I really wanted to sign, carry on doing my job, you know, surfing. Um, so I thought, you know, if I just email the guys here, you know, it's kind of easy to say no in an email. Sure. Um, so I was like, my plan was to go to Ireland, have a good season, and then go and meet, meet with Pat and Evan and the team, and and you know propose like pitch to them to be on their team, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I probably should have gone home, <laughs> uh, but I thought like you know it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to speak to those guys face to face, and so yeah. I flew there with with my back broken. Wow, I kind of limped to the office. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It worked was, out a deal, though, right? I mean, I did. Yeah, thanks to those guys. They yeah, had sympathy think, for your broken back. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I swear, I'm gonna be better. <laughs> um, and then, but that that kind of whole experience kind of changed, kind of changed my life a little bit, and like the way I look at what I eat and um, my health and nutrition. And um, I'd also always been like healthy, being a uh, surfer and stuff. But I, right. I really like took it to the next level because I was like, I'm not gonna let this back problem saw me out like yeah. put me out the water so um, yeah I really focus like still a lot of studying on what to eat and what you know um, and uh, in three months I was surfing again so how much um, support does Hurley provide for you in that respect in terms of like nutritionists and trainers and things oh, like no. that none <laughs> no I mean I don't no I'm not I'm like a nobody in that team you know I'm just a small yeah. small fish so I just and whatever I get from them, I'm super grateful for. But yeah, yeah. I just um, I, I'm kind of just traveling and surfing big waves. So right, yeah, I just it's all up to up to the, the individual. But to me, I was like, I even decided for myself before. I thought if they sign me, I'm going to take this as my job and take it as a professional surfer. Mm-hmm. And 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 in that respect, be like as fit as I could possibly be. Like have the right equipment and be ready to right. to surf because that's my job. Sure. Where before I was kind of hustling, I, I you know made a conscious effort to decide that that's what I was going to do. Yeah. So you did. Um, did you say a month in Mexico as well? I want to. What, what was the shooting schedule in terms of the surfing? How much time did you spend in each location? And yeah, like about a month, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. You spent about you spent about three months in Ireland. Ireland, yeah. A month in Mexico in Pasquales with uh, with Andy. Um, Hawaii was tough. Um, with just trying to get footage, man, it was, uh, it was got some waves of jaws and stuff, but there was just so many people out, and like we didn't have a dedicated guy because we didn't have budget for it. So just buying footage off people, or just, but it's not. The, there wasn't buying that was a problem because I got waves. It was more like there was so many waves ridden, and you know, people looked the same on a big wave, you know. Yeah. So it was a matter of like after serving the whole day, like going to people and be like, hey do you think you got my wave? Like, do you think we could get it? Are we making the surf form? I'm sure like every surfer says the same thing. You know, we're making a surf form. Yeah. So like to try and get that footage was pretty tough. To get the photographer to actually sort through all of the clips yeah, and find you and then follow of clips. up. Yeah. yeah, and then 
four white, you know. Like, and then they're shooting three or four days in a row exactly, during a swell. Exactly. And, so yeah. that that part of it was actually really hard. Uh, Eric Natson came to the party. Really, and, like, yeah, Eric Knudsen, and um, I was staying with Albie, so his film, uh, Dan. Yeah. Uh, those guys really helped us out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. And, those uh, guys are doing amazing things over there uh, in terms yeah, of video production. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, John John's a really good friend of mine, so it was good to have his support in that regard. You know. See, that's interesting. I didn't know that the surf footage, by and large, was cobbled together after the fact. I assume that you just sent a team and went and executed yeah. trips like a normal surf. Well, trip. the thing is, uh, with big wave surfing, and a lot of, I have this all the time, it's like, you know, before I left, there's obviously a lot of interest in the film, and they're like, oh, when are you going to go surf dungeons again? Like, is it going to be good next week? And we like, I was like, it hasn't been good for two years. Like, it didn't <laughs> yeah. break. It didn't break with the whole time. Like, you can't just, that, that's the thing with big wave surfing, you can't just, like, schedule a shoot and it's going to be on those days and right. you can have these people and you can try a hundred times it's like yeah. one day maybe two waves that you get that are good you know it's like, right it's like throughout a year period so um getting those a-grade like surf big wave clips are really difficult and that's why I was, you know that island thing i was i was pretty i still sometimes get a little bit upset about it because i <laughs> i was really prepared and um and was yeah was to get that wave you know like um, done everything I could and then it's uh, a little bit uh, uh, obviously you don't do it for the footage but like when you have such a big like team and movie and all we needed was a surf form I was I did feel a little personal pressure that I wanted oh. to get surf you know like yeah yeah totally <laughs> so yeah it was a little bit frustrating but I mean I'm stoked with the way it came out everyone said the surfing is fine so yeah, yeah no absolutely cool. yeah um so so anyway so I broke my back yeah then can you explain the wipeout itself like um, I think the broken back we can't just glaze over that that's a pretty important detail yeah no I I hit I got sucked over the fours at Riley's and kind of landed seated on the ground and uh, broke my old two vertebrae and landed seated on the ground but on the reef just like got piled uh, yeah like that and um uh, yeah, it was it sucked, man. <laughs> well, I heard in the interview you did with Surfer that you were concerned you didn't have health insurance. No, at the I don't time. have health insurance. So I how still did that don't have health insurance. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just um, I, I knew I couldn't afford a helicopter, and I was able to stand, so I figured I could oh. I, I could walk out the, the cliff, you know. And then um, and then uh, when I got to the hospital, actually, Pete was like dude, did they give you an MRI? I'm like, yeah, I've had two MRIs. Like, bro, do you know how much an MRI costs? And I was like, I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, he's like, how are you going to pay for that? I was like, I I'm going to run out of here. I don't know. And like, you know, I've been like super fortunate my whole life. I don't know. Some, I have had some really interesting things go my way. And somehow the hospital was like free healthcare. Oh, no way. Yeah. And I was like, they just like, when I had to leave, they're like, See you later, Frank. Nice. Thanks for stopping by. Like, it was crazy. Like, out of there, bro. What did, what did you do en route um, to the hospital for painkillers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I drank a couple of beers. No way. <laughs> yeah, I drank like six beers. I don't know what to do. It was freezing cold in Ireland. And then, like, we got to the hospital and it was a like, crazy, like, public hospital. There was hundreds of people outside and they're like, you know, take a number. And I was like, wow. It's like, I don't, I'm pretty Hundreds sick. of people. But there was just so brilliant. It was like, there was beds everywhere. Like, people, there was weren't enough beds. There was people like, crazy Ireland's a poor country man like yeah. people they have high unemployment and you know it's yeah. it's tough there yeah. um, they were really hit hard by the recession too you know? mm-hmm. and 
So yeah, so I was like, there's no ways I'm standing in the queue. I was like, just take me to the front. And I'll just lie on my back, you know, like in front of the hospital, like someone's got to come get me. And mm-hmm. I did that. And I just kind of tried to make like a scene. Like I was like, maybe a little bit of screaming and they all ran out and, and I'm like, have you been drinking? And I was like, yeah, I drank for, a little bit for the pain. They were like, what do you mean? You drank for the pain? <laughs> They didn't believe it. They didn't believe they it. They thought he was trying to get free meat. Yeah, they, they, yeah my, and my friends were laughing, and, and the nurse like pulled my friend aside, and it's like, hey, like, are you hurt? There's a lot of sick people here, or are you just trying to get like free painkillers and drugs and stuff? And I was like, no, I swear my back sore, and they put me in a neck thing. And I was like, it's not my neck, and I like, ripped it off. And then <laughs> when they took me to get the x-ray, and I was like, I was still a little bit buzzed from the beers, like chatting, and, and then she, the lady's like, don't move. And I was like, what? She's like, I, I'm not like allowed to tell you what's wrong with you but you do not move off this bed and then the doctor had to like review the thing and he was on like hey like this is serious yeah <laughs> yeah so had you been able to take your wetsuit off yeah i took my wetsuit off yeah. that alone i would figure would be a nightmare. that was really tough yeah, yeah. cut it off yeah <laughs> so yeah and then the, so that whole you know we were supposed to film the fight scene i was supposed to have sponsorship like that was like a three days in hospital was like pretty low point um and then, yeah, just uh, carry on, carrying on. And uh, the next year, went back to Ireland uh, with P for the film, and and I got that one like pretty, yeah, one of the best waves of my life. And I ended up winning like a big wave event at home through that wave, a video entry event. So that kind of came full circle for me. You now I broke my back yeah. there, and then I came back and won like biggest battle of the year. So it was pretty, pretty. That for me was like real high point of the film. Awesome. Yeah. You were talking about your career outlook prior to the film release or prior to even starting the film project. What does your career outlook look like now? Um, yeah, I mean, at that point, I was trying to, I was on, I was trying to do the, the Big Wave World Tour, and I was like, I think I was like 10th in the world, 2012, 13 or something. And that was definitely my path. But now, uh, now I think my path has shifted. I don't know, I kind of like obscure like remote places like Ireland where there's no people and I want to do more stuff like that and kind of go even more off the beaten path you know Mm. go some chores with like 20 30 of the best guys like that stressed me out being those kind of lineups and I don't I tend not to do so well in those kind of situations so uh, yeah I don't know well what does it look like in terms of industry support do you think I guess the film hasn't been released yet but You'll see a difference, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Hurley um, spoke to Pat, and yeah, they're, they're going to carry on looking after me, which is cool. Yeah, and um, through Pete and Flo, the other guy, like I've had some opportunities at Red Bull as well. Okay. Uh, tr- kind of talking about some cool projects to do with them, with like traveling and surfing and stuff. So yeah, mm. it's, it's been cool, man. How old are you? Thirty-three. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think. Um, you'll see a lot of opportunity once the film comes out. I mean, I can't... I would imagine the film winning Surfer Paul Awards and all that sort of stuff. It's that remarkable. Thanks, man. So, Thanks. Yeah, you should be able to we, ride it. We're pretty worried about that. We, we're gunning for Surfer Paul, yeah. We, we, because, we decided to try and get it in there. Um, I don't know how it could be overlooked. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, for, yeah, for me, though, I'm not too worried about it. You know? Sure. Kind of just... Um, this has been like such a high point like yeah. if I stop tomorrow like Pete and I made this incredible film like you know for two South African guys like Surfer posted it Surfer Magazine Stab Surfline Surfing Huck Wavescape Zigzag um, Carve Mag Magic Seaweed like pretty much every surf site media outlet 
has spoken about the film and I don't know for two people from like remote part of Africa <laughs> the bottom of Africa it's pretty crazy for us you know do yeah. you think like, yeah, yeah totally I think we're totally humbled by it I said it last night like the first surf film I ever saw was freaking Bruce Brown and Pat O'Connell was in the film and I just loved that yeah. and for for us to have been standing in California with Californians and Pat O'Connell in the film man that blew my mind yeah. totally yeah, it was just incredible crazy, yeah. it's like I mean, for me and my podcast, like, the story here is two guys from relative anonymity. You know, like, I've heard Frank's name before, but I don't know that I'd be able to pick you out from a lineup if I saw you. Two guys from relative anonymity showing up with a film that I hadn't even heard of the pre-production. Like, when John John was working on his film, I heard about it for two years before I saw it. This, it's like it showed up a few weeks ago on Stab. I saw an article. I'm like, what's this? And then I watch it two weeks later, and I was like, well, the landscape has changed. Like, two guys, relative anonymity, showing up, blowing up, changing everything. This is the model that people have to follow now. So, yeah, I'm impressed. Thanks, man. It's a great story. (laughs) Blows my mind. Yeah, that's cool. Get emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also to do with, like, South Africa. I don't know. Like, South African people seem, uh, I don't know, like... You kind of have to be asked if you come from inside Africa, you know. Like, I think we're kind of raised that way, you know. Sure, it's like a third world country, and it's definitely not like, no, like not this. Easy. No, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. Yeah, it's, cool. it's not just two guys that they've yeah. had such a cool core crew yeah. team and a, a core team. Like the guys that you mentioned is like Andrew McKay. He came on as like a creative director as well, and um, he's like he gave up his job in London for six months. And we didn't shoot once for the film. Wow. Like, just favors. And Matthew Day and Toby, Toby Goodyear um, and Frankie Fogg, Zora Walter, Flo. um, Florian, who was the first guy to believe in it. Um, then we got Ben Harper and Jason and Jesse involved. Um, and they wrote four amazing songs for, for, the, for the film. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, did, did Ben score it or just wrote some of the songs? Or? No, so the, the whole film's um, scored by different, there's different artists, but he, he wrote, they, they scored four. Five, I think five songs for the entire film. Got it. Jason uh, Mazeski, Jesse Engels, and Ben Harper. Right. So they uh, yeah, for together. us, like, also Ben Harper for us was like oh, when we were we growing grew up. up as you know, it's yeah. like ben Sugar Harper's Man music. that movie. Like yeah, yeah. Ben Harper was kind of like that at home. You know? yeah, <laughs> was ben it? Harper goes to South Africa now. He'd have the biggest turnout. Like, yeah, it's really, really yeah, super yeah, popular. People love him over Yeah, so like. You know, even my friends were like, I showed them like Ben Harper clip. And they're like, dude, I can't believe he says your name. Like, uh, I don't know. It's like, a yeah. big, it's a big deal for, for us. Yeah. yeah. We went yeah. to watch him at the Hollywood Bowl the other day as well. And it was just unbelievable. And we went backstage and hung out with the, the band afterwards. And man, such a humble guy. Like, right. Ben is amazing. And same with Jason and Jesse. Like, they, to see them playing to the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. And then they were involved in our small movie. That, it's so crazy, amazing. man. Yeah. How great is that venue, by the way? Oh, it's so horrible. Really? So, it's so rad. <laughs> Freak, it's amazing. Man. It's like picnics and everything. No way. Man, you know what? You know, yeah? Lots of people? Yeah, loads. Like 20,000. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, also, um, all the way, like, and we were talking about this last night, but all the way, the detail kind of, I think, flows all the way down to the posters. I don't know if you've seen our posters. Yes. Now, that's, again, from a, a friend of mine who actually used to be at Stellenbosch University with me. He runs a studio called Studio Muti in Cape Town. 
and unbelievable what they've done with that. Like mm-hmm. the hand painted, hand painted kind of four different varieties, four different right? varieties for each thing. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying at the, my very first question was like the execution from inception to final delivery. All of it is seamless down to the posters. Yeah, the posters definitely. are what spurred that thought for me. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. So, and that, that was it. We just wanted to kind of sell it to the world correctly. And, yeah. And also, Andrew McKay has been watching out for that as well, making sure that from a creative execution with all our graphics and everything that we push, that we have that continuity. Right. And he Even the with the logo, like I was, when I had my broken back, he was trying to get the logo. He must have, he must have drawn the logo a thousand times. Yeah. Right. Like, it was like piles of piles like sleeping in paper of yeah. let's be frank it looked, to me it looked every single one looked exactly the same yeah. right. and he's like oh this one I was like it looks just like that one yeah, and, he, and he plays Andy in the film yeah, right? he's actually in the film right. and the that beard. was also just by by um, chance like once we got him in front of the camera I wanted to maybe use him once or twice and once I got him in front of the camera I was like dude you look so good in front of the camera we're gonna, we're gonna blend this in more and then yeah. we sat down and just wrote and I just wrote and kind of wrote him into the plot much thicker. Yeah. He he didn't he initially he was going to maybe do one little thing for us, and then I, I kind of conned him into doing the whole thing. <laughs> we well, kind of conned everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was brilliant in it, and so good. the fact that I even knew that that was the Andy was because I researched it. I saw him in the film, and I thought he was a professional actor. I was like, "Who is this guy? He's nailing it!" And like they they lucked out by getting him. And then I looked at the credits, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> How'd that work? I think also Josh Redman. Yeah, uh, amazing. Yeah, the guy. He's like uh, one of my best friends. And yeah, he nailed it. Yeah, (laughs) unbelievable, man. That day of filming um, with Pat and with Josh. I think we got we got the scene in like in one take. Yeah. They were incredible. So in my notes, I had my two kind of the most impactful scenes and sequences in the film were the fight scene and that scene yeah with the Lincoln Continental out in the desert yeah, so yeah it was it. a beautiful beautiful sequence man. and you know what you know what I, also, what I learned massively um, who, someone said to me like wow the production value is massive in this you can see it just looks epic and what I've learned massively is that locations uh, location 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 dude it is the, that's what it's your environment it's like and California has the most amazing locations to shoot like we shot out at Four Aces which in that scene and it's just incredible it lends such a richness to it so I anything I do now is really just research locations because they are so important they, all the locations we used in this film were incredible like we yeah. used castles in, in England or manor houses in England and we, we again we put the effort into kind of source in the best we could right um, and I think that the same also with the pool scene when uh, when the girl's walking through just dressing it correctly having the right location having the right player don't whatever you do for any other filmmakers I, I wouldn't shortchange yourself there that's mm. what I'd, I'd and they did, they've shot um, what film they shot at Four Aces like Independence Day I think something? oh yeah they've shot loads there they've yeah. like Lady Gaga music videos and stuff yeah. and then we used the Kill Ball Church as well for the one scene. Oh, is Mexico. that right? In Mexico? Yeah. And we didn't even go in it. We just used it as a backdrop because it was so powerful. It's such a powerful yeah. vision. Vision, you know? Yeah. This, this Fascinating. Like, the scene's up for like one second. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and, so, and, then, and then it's your color palette as well that you choose. Like, what color kind of walls are painted? Of course. Like, it's so important. Like, that kind of detail is just awesome. Yeah. That's a lot. Of, I learned a lot of that from Matthew Day as well. Like, okay. Because he's done a lot of stuff. He's done a lot more than I have. And, we were just we were kind of super kind of detailed on that. Yeah, I loved it. It was very impactful. Awesome. Um, let's talk about distribution. Um, 
Where will the film end up? On the 19th when it's released, where can people get it? Yeah, go to Red Bull TV. Uh, Red Bull TV, 19th of September, and then it's up for 10 days or something, I think. Yeah, and then I think the 25th it goes on iTunes. Okay. 25th so, of September goes on iTunes, yeah. And we've got our soundtracks on iTunes already. Like Oh, really? Ben Harper, it's called Let's Be Frank. Um, so Ben Harper, iTunes, that was a track. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So when it's on Red Bull, it'll be available for free for those 10 days? That's it. Amazing. 10 day free viewing, and then iTunes after that. So everyone would have seen it by the time it goes on iTunes, so no one will buy it for <laughs> I know, I wonder about that strategy, actually. But amazing of Red Bull to do that. I mean, yeah. they've been producing the best surf media they since they now. started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the guys that we deal with from Red Bull are just such great guys. Like um, Florian Moser, who was here earlier, and then Philip Mandela. Um, incredible guys. Like Philip, uh, he's like, he lives and breathes surfing. He like made his first surf film a couple of years ago as well. And um, just, they're just super passionate. And those are the two guys who really actually believed in the project and put up the initial funds. Because without them and without their pocket of funds, we wouldn't have been able to do this. Sure. We would still be kind of trying to hustle. It would probably take us five years to make the film. We yeah. would have made it, but it would take a lot longer. Yeah, I think that was also your thing. Hey, you were going to make it no matter what. Like yeah. Pete was like, even if we don't film for like three years, we don't have any money, we're going to still do it, but it's just going to take... A lot of while, you know, right? And that's stressful, man. When you've got like everybody, like Frank, especially because he's like he has this tenacity and he doesn't let things lie. <laughs> he's on at me all the time. When are we doing this? When are we doing that? Right. And it just becomes stressful, like with all the people in the party. So yeah. it's hard, man, when you've got a lot of people involved in something and they're giving up their jobs and their lifestyle to accommodate you. It's, it's a stressful process. So it's well, rad that it's finished and. and it down and I, I commend you for actually allowing those people to get involved I think as a somebody who's directing it's easy to micromanage yeah. but to understand that those people have assets that you might not have and they're willing to donate their time like yeah. it's huge yeah. this couldn't have come together without yeah. it being a collaboration yeah, I would never and I was never like that I was very much before I was I would keep everything to myself I'd that's how creative myself. people are I would never show anyone anything and it, through this process, I've just there's there's people that are a million times better at things yeah. that I'm not good at, and um, that's where we've got all the the right people involved that made it. Well, so did you actually um, enlist outside production companies to do any of the transitions or the titles or the animation? And no, so um, Red Bull, we did all our finishing at Red Bull Media House in Austria. Got it. So there's a team there that helped us with like those art transitions, yeah. uh, shots and stuff. And then there was another uh, freelance animator that I brought in as well, okay. um, uh, Darian, um, who came and did another sequence. That scene sequence where you say he's got big balls. Yeah, that sequence. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, that got a good laugh the other night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny, man. People laughed at the rock time. Good. Like, yeah, that was, that was incredible. Like, I think you don't want to take yourself too serious. And that scene with Pat when he lifts his head. Yeah. And the people laughed. That's what we're supposed to get. It wasn't supposed to be serious, although it looks creatively like serious. Right. The fact that everyone laughed—that was it. The moment you see it's Pat, you gotta laugh. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So awesome. So, um, in closing, what's next for each of you? Yeah. I'm um, taking a sabbatical. I'm taking a sabbatical for five years. Um, (laughs) uh, There's some talk about some projects um, in the in the light and. In future projects um, that I'm talking with some some guys about, but at the moment I'm finishing off Ripple Effect because I've got still got that 
six more episodes to do and those will be finished by October um, and then um, some downtime would be good because I think for future creative project projects you really need time to kind of just consolidate and you need like a clear head and I think with lots of stuff going on it's it's uh, it's hard to kind of get that that kind of creative time so I'm looking for some downtime but um, I don't, I'm not sure we'll have much of it well when you say um you got potential projects that you're talking to people about. Have people approached you based on the success of this? Not based on the success of it, but because they haven't seen it yet. Um, but they were, they were, they were, I had close conversations with them as we were making it, and mm-hmm. I was showing them some scenes, oh, okay. and yes, it is. It's, okay. um, there's opportunities that are arising from that. In the surf world or outside? Um, inside and outside. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. so they have, they have been a, a few opportunities that have come around, and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're just looking at them and just kind of making the right call. I don't want to get into the position that I've been in the last two years where I'm juggling so many balls. Like, I think the next project that I want to do, I want to just be committed to just that project. And, Great. And I've got an amazing production um, well, production team behind me in London that run my production company and um, giving them more responsibility to take on bigger projects and stuff. And we're growing that so that I can just focus on kind of one thing. And that's kind of what I want to do. So Smart. It's so easy to spread yourself thin, yeah, especially exactly. when offers start coming. Yeah. Um, so are you based out of London? I'm based out of London, yes. Okay. Well, at the moment, halfway between London and America, but um, just depending on what happens with the ripple effect and right. what happens with other opportunities, um, yeah, we've got a house and our production companies in London. Okay. And Frank, any big plans for you in the immediate horizon? Um, are you still doing the Big Wave World Tour? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in any events this year, I don't think. No, I kind of... It was hard to do both for the yeah. last couple of years like it's hard enough because the big wave contest like you have 24 hours notice mm. uh, 48 hours so like right. if we had like a shoot like I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't couldn't like well, I did it once I think I went to Ireland I went to what? Chile Chile yeah yeah I was shot in London and then they called the contest on like while I was in the plane and kind of met my dad at the airport no we were in Cape Town I think yeah something like that you, yeah you're in Cape Town we're I was in Cape, Cape Town, Town. And then like, I was home for like one day and I had to go to Chile. So yeah. I got there at like four in the morning and the contest started at six. My boards hadn't arrived. Was, yeah, it's nothing arrived. Stress. It was just like, yeah. The funniest thing is when you actually, you're shooting, we like would be shooting sets and stuff like that in, in London in the cold and the waves would be firing like in Hawaii. And Frank's like, dude, the waves are really good here. We should yeah. be here. Like, why are we doing this stuff in the studio? Like, yeah. I'm like, dude, just, we got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you, I'm pretty sure you've seen it like if, if I'm with Frank and with surfers in general, like if they can't get to that wave, oh, they yeah. get irritated. Yeah. <laughs> totally. We also had that problem in Hawaii because the one day I was like, I was like, hey, John, like we got to do this. Like, he, you know, he was like happy to do it. And I've been rashing him and he doesn't, he's not very good at replying to emails and stuff. So then we went to Hawaii and Pete's like, is John going to do it? Is he going to do it? And I was like, yeah, he's going to do it. <laughs> he's, like, he's not replying to any of my mails. I'm like, nah, don't worry about it, right? He said he'll do it. He's a good yeah. kid, you know? And then the one day we like organized Jamie O'Brien's dad's house. These guys set up this huge, like, this, that amazing set that they put up with the map and stuff. That was oh, all, okay. like... Yeah, yeah where all of his narration was done. Yeah, yeah. so that we set up that whole, like... Yeah, scene. You know? Yeah, yeah. That map came from America. Like we flew it in, yeah. and did everything. Wow. And um, but that the waves of pipe were firing. 
So, <laughs> so I was like, and there was a bunch of guys in the front of Jamie's dad's house, like getting hooting, hooting, you know, drinking beers, and and then when obviously John arrives, it's like a big deal. John's yeah. there, some guys like, hey man, look how good are the waves? And John's like, hey Frank, how are the waves right now? Because he was, we did it for like a couple hours, like him talking to camp, you know, doing yeah. the lines. And he's like, hey, how are the waves? And I just saw like the sickest wave would pipe, and I was like. Yeah, I think the wind's a bit bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> smoke screening John John. <laughs> we got him, we gotta keep him. Yeah, yeah, we had him and then oh my gosh, Pete, man. Pete's like, Oh, you're gonna just gonna be quick, you say a couple of lines. Pete comes out a piece of a pile of paper like this thick <laughs> of lines, like the whole movie in paper. I'm like, Pete, you can't expect the guy to read the whole form, you know? Yeah. And he's like, oh, just one more. Okay, just one more, Frank. Okay, one more. And John like, is getting like a little bit like Okay. <laughs> like in a we're in a real production world, dude, that that we would have ha- had maybe two days to do all of that. Right. But with John's time, it was very we had like hours. We had two hours. Oh. So we were, I was just trying I was sweating and trying to get We yeah, were sweating and then we were we just <laughs> Yeah, was super the guy was super drunk and he was screaming yeah, and we were trying to did, record yeah. sound and it was uh. like yeah. Amazing. Well, it turned <laughs> it out. Came on. Yeah. Exactly. It turned yeah. out. But, but um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do the big wave. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I'm also, uh, yeah, uh, kind of working on a couple, not working on, but yeah, a couple projects more in like, like the video space kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like a couple interested in like travel and, and things I've been doing anyway, but trying to like showcase it a bit more. Cool. And yeah, surf big waves and and try to see the world yeah cool well you're flying out tomorrow you were only yes. here for about a week right that's right yeah. yeah so explain to people what your schedule looks like for the next three weeks sure yeah schedule's pretty gnarly yeah. <clears throat> the the flight here was 40 hours for me and from know, Cape Town yeah like nine hours layover so the first two days I was here I was just anybody's business I, was, I woke up at like three in the morning uh, wide awake and then I'm not complaining. That's sick, but it's yeah, jet lag's a real thing. It's sure. it's um, it's a part of people that I don't. I've never really um, put too much thought into it because I've been able to be places long longer times. You know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, short periods is pretty nuts. So we go from here to Johannesburg. We're doing a three day media tour. Um, all uh, all the media in South Africa, pretty much. Some couple TV shows, uh, radios, newspapers. Uh, three days of that. Then we go to Cape Town on the 9th of September for the one premiere I'm really excited for. It's my hometown. And, yeah. Um, yeah, all my friends, are, yeah, everyone's... I've been really excited for that. You know? Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people there and it's sold out in like half an hour. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we go to Durban, Pete's hometown. Yeah. The Barnyard Theatre. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Uh, well. Pretty amazing theatre there. And then we go to London on the 15th. Um, where is it in London? London's in Sox- at the Curzon in Shaftesbury Avenue where they do a lot of big premieres and stuff so we've got cool. an amazing spot there and then the next day we go to Spain to the San Sebastian Spain. Film Festival where I think now they're doing two screenings of the film yeah. so we're there for four days Yeah, and cool. then yeah, from there I'm going straight to Ireland to go surf for a month cool yeah. full circle back yeah. to Ireland <laughs> um, final question for everybody that's interviewed on the podcast is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? The last surfboard I rode. Uh, what did I ride? I rode a, a five eleven Pazalian oh, at really? Lundadno, my local break. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you haven't surfed here since you've been here. Though. I haven't. I'm actually going tomorrow. Um, I couldn't 
to bring like a board all the way here for yeah. a surf is just crazy. I'm staying with uh, my my good friend Greg Long, and he's got lots of boards. So totally, I'm just stay with him. Whose boards do you normally ride? Paisa. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Are you? What's your surf? Are you grow up surfing in South Africa? Or yeah, what's your so, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But I, I was actually talking to Joe G about it at the premiere. It's like normally the worst surfer in the group becomes the filmer because he's the one who's always pushed on the beach. I've spent plenty of time filming. <laughs> I know that plight. Um, so yeah, I've surfed my whole life, and uh, and I absolutely love it. But I'm not 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 exceptional, as my yeah. friends will stand testament to that. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what's the last board that you rode? Uh, catch surf soft top. <laughs> oh, I see it right there. So you've been able to surf out here a little bit. Yes, yeah. Well, when I when I get a chance, yeah, I have been. And just in front here, yeah, we've got an amazing. I get in the sea every day because it's amazing shore break over here. Yeah, just in front. Yeah, totally. And I've got an Almeric over there as well. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't really. <laughs> it takes a bit more all. energy and effort to exactly, ride that. Exactly, man. But yeah. I think you you know you can get just as much enjoyment in surfing like that. Sometimes, oh, like when surfing becomes your job, it's it also puts a different spin on it. You know, it's like totally. Is like something that was just passion becomes what you have to do. Yeah. It's kind of a weird. Same space. thing for photography Same and yeah. everything. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So. I don't even like I take um, digital photos anymore, right. just because it became very kind of tedious. Right. And now I actually got myself a Leica N3, old school, and it's like it's kind of brought the romance for photography back. Yeah. You don't know what you've taken. Like. Yep. And ninety percent of the photos you take will be crappy, yep. and then you'll you'll have to kind of like kind of figure it out. There's more of a science to it, which I really enjoy. So, mm, yeah, interesting. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to connect with you guys. Like I said, I wanted to get a hold of you the other night, and I was like, you know what? It's gonna. You guys are overwhelmed with attention and people. I'll try <laughs> to catch you in the morning. Um, but I'm glad to catch you at the beginning of your media tour as well because yeah, you're going to be telling the same stories for three weeks straight. <laughs> I'm sure. No, it's cool. And it's cool that you appreciated the film like it was meant to be appreciated. Yeah. You know? so a lot of people just good. think it like, oh, look, that's cool film. You know? But just that you realize you know, everything that went into it. Kind of, Dude, for cool. years I've been begging for something of interest with narrative, with production value. So Maybe we should start like a hashtag like listening to the or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start it for you among our listeners. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Thank you, yeah, man. Thank you, man. Let's Be Frank is available on Red Bull.tv for free up until September 29th, 2016, and then be available in perpetuity on iTunes for purchase from that point on. Thank you, Frank Solomon and Peter Hamblin. Beautiful work. Thank you to my loyal listeners for persevering another hour of surf splendor. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend. You know what? Share this episode and share the film with a friend. What a great friend you will be to them by doing those things. It's all free, man. Free free podcast, free movie. Amazing. So much good content out there right now for free. So anyways, do that for me because uh, I will tell you what. I'm happy to produce the content as long as people are listening. And the more listeners we have, the more likely we can attract amazing guests like these guys. We're trying to get to Kelly Slater, folks. Let us get to Kelly. Anybody out there that knows him personally, send him this episode. Tell him we want him on the pod. 
I'll be the ultimate guest, and then I could just quit completely. Go away. Live happily ever after. All right? That is all for now. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is our website where you can see clips from Let's Be Frank and some of the still imagery that was captured on the production. And, um, yeah, past episodes are all available. Every episode out of the archive, 135 past episodes are all available for free. There's actually a music page that archives every song ever used in every episode of Surf Splendor if you've ever been curious and didn't happen to have Shazam handy at that moment. Uh, it's all available, surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's also a comment section where you are welcome to chime in about today's show or any past show. I will make sure to read that and uh, get back to you with my response to whatever you have to say and share. Thank you very much. Again, I am but your humble host, David Scales, signing off for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get in the ocean, get a couple waves, and shred on. <laughs>